Welcome, welcome, welcome. I love seeing everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, If you haven't met me, if it's your first time or you're new here, I would love to just meet you after service. Come say hi, uh, interrupt me, whatever you got to do. I would love to to meet you. Uh, I'm just excited to be here with the church this morning. Uh, I love singing. Thank you, Barbara. I love singing. Uh, you know, the, the psalmist continually says, let the congregation come together and sing praises to the Lord. And that's what we do every Sunday morning. The congregation gathers together to sing the praises of God. And there's just something that happens in my heart when we do that that is just amazing. We have been in a series in James, um, and we've called this series Friend. And really what James, why we're going through this series and what James is trying to communicate to the church is, have you been a follower of Jesus, yet a friend of the world? And so James is trying to go through argument by argument of what it means to be a friend of God or a friend of the world. And he's trying to convert the converted, the people that have said that I follow Jesus, yet their life has not lined up with that and they still follow the world. He's saying, well, this is how you know that happens. So if you're here and you may not be a follower of Jesus, it may be uh, that you are exploring what that looks like or you are curious, then you and James get to have a back seat into what Christian hypocrisy looks like. Because a lot of people have issue with the church saying, well, Christians say one thing and do another thing. Well, guess what? This is an age-old problem of the church. And if you are here and you are part of the church and you realize, man, that's me, I have been that Christian hypocrite as many times I've had to repent, then realize James knew that there was salvation for you, and that's why he wrote this letter, to change the course of our hearts because there is grace from God to cover a multitude of sin. In chapter one, we just finished that last week. I believe we're in week six now. uh, And we're gonna do a kind of three-part series through chapter two called Acts of Faith. Chapter one was a lot about how faith is perfected and the faith of a follower of Jesus. And James ends chapter one with this thought. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. And then what he does right after that is he takes an entire chapter to explain what does it mean to be a doer of the word? What does it mean to not only have faith, but also work? To be able to act out your faith. And so this is Acts of Faith, part one, where James says, you may say that you believe in God, but I want to see, do your actions line up with that belief? And so he begins to go through the ways the church how the church's actions have not lined up with its faith. So as we go through this, I pray God correct our course of action, that we would not just be a church of faith, but we would also be a church of action. Amen? We're gonna see how the gospel radically changes our lives and causes us, how it causes us to look different 
than the world. And we're going to start off in James chapter 2. We'll be reading from verses 1 to 7 today. James starts off, and you can read along on the screen today, uh, to my left, to your right. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of our glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and splendid clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in filthy clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? We're going to stop there today. So to start off today, the first thing that we're going to be looking at and building upon is the understanding of the Christian ethic of favoritism. There is a ethic that Christianity or Judeo-Christian belief system has had from the very beginning of scripture on favoritism. And what James is saying here, this is not a new doctrine that he's bringing across. This is not something that is mind-blowing to the Christian community. This is not something that they haven't heard before. What he is really doing, what he has been doing since the very beginning, and what he will continue to do, is remind. What is the character of God, and how have you not been living out that character in your Christian community? So the first thing I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, where we first begin to see the law given to the people of Israel through Moses. And Moses begins to make some of these very statements that James is reminding the church of over a thousand years later. In the beginning of Leviticus 19, it says this. The passage starts off where God tells Moses to tell the people, he says, tell the people to be holy, for I am holy. Right, that's how Leviticus 19 starts out. And then right after he says that, it then goes into a section on how to treat your neighbor. And so a lot of times we think about faith in God or we think about the holiness of God and we want more faith in God or we want to be holy like God and we never bring that down to the practical reality of what that means in walking out in our daily life. And even far less as Christians do we think that being holy like God means treating our neighbors well and loving them. And that is what is happening here when they get the law in Leviticus 19, is God is saying, if you are to be holy like I am holy, then you need to learn to treat your neighbor well. Loving your neighbor is being holy. And so we're gonna read in verses 11 to 18, and what we'll see is a lot of similarities, not only what we are reading today, but we're gonna continue to read in James. In fact, a lot of scholars believe James based a large portion of his letter to the Christian community from Leviticus 19. It says here, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely. Remember, this is treating your neighbor. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. 
and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Powerful section of scripture here, and we're going to probably be referencing this chapter a little bit more as we continue to read James. I wanna highlight one verse here, and we're gonna see how that plays into how James is talking to the church today about partiality and favoritism. In verse 15, it's an important verse. It says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So what is Moses saying here? What is the gist of this law? Basically, that there should be no injustice in the court system. And how does that injustice usually play out? He says, don't bend the rules for the poor person because you feel sorry for them. And don't show favoritism to the rich person because you wanna get something from them. Whether rich or poor, that should not affect how justice is brought about. Justice should be righteous, righteously dealt with, and that is how justice works. If anybody can tip the scales in the justice system, right? We have Lady Justice in America, and you see the scales all the time, and the scales should be even, and there's a lot of verses about having uneven weights in the scriptures, right? If, if there is anything that should tip the scales in the rich person's favor or in the poor person's favor, then what begins to happen in the system is injustice begins to occur. And so this ethic of not showing favoritism to somebody was from the very beginning of the law of the people of God. But this isn't something that we just see in the Old Testament. We see it constantly throughout the New Testament, that this is not only how people should deal with one another, right? I should not show partiality to you based off of your status, whether rich or poor. God does the same exact thing with people, and we see this constantly in Scripture. We're gonna read several verses from the New Testament to see how God deals with us. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. In Romans 2, chapter 11, it says, For God shows no partiality. In Ephesians 6, verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. We get the point, right? This is a well-developed theme in Scripture, 
That the body of Christ, part of our walk with Christ, means how we look at our neighbor, how we see them. We should not externally judge them and then treat them differently based off of their earthly possessions. We know that God has told us not to do this in the law, and God does not do this himself with us. And what happens here and why James is writing is James is finding in the church the practice of giving favor to the rich has invaded the church. That this partiality, this understanding that the wealthy get a better seat, the wealthy get a better place in the congregation, that has become part of the culture of the church and James is very, very frustrated It says here that they had made distinctions among themselves and had become judges with evil thoughts. So to be a judge with evil thoughts mean they had ill intent in their heart where a place of justice was supposed to be happening, a place of no partiality, a place of not tipping the scales. What happens is their evil thoughts, their evil desires of wanting to get something from the rich person of wanting to elevate their own status, to elevate this person, had invaded their heart, had invaded the church, and so they began to treat one person better than the other person. And in order to really understand what's happening here, we need to understand this word assembly that James uses. And we're gonna read this portion of scripture again from verse two Uh, in verses three in James chapter two, because I want you to just hear the word assembly and see what's used, and we're gonna break that down for a second. In verse two, it says, for a man wearing a gold ring and splendid clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in filthy clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. This word for assembly in the Greek is actually the word for synagogue. And so it was their, it was their actual place of assembly. In the Jewish customs, uh, what would happen at the synagogue was a lot of, uh, of community events would happen. And when the church began, obviously the church was birthed from the Jewish religion. Uh, the first converts were all Jewish people. Jesus himself grew up as a Jew. Uh, And so a lot of these customs came over, and so that when they would get to the assembly or they would come into the synagogue, the place where they would gather, there's a lot of evidence that a lot of these customs continued in the early church. They would do things like it was their place of worship, like what we're doing this morning. We assemble together to worship God together. It was also a place of reading and study where people would gather to read uh, because what we have now, text, you know, was not... Uh, back then, readily available for everybody to do that. So a lot, what would happen is there would be an assembly or people would congregate to read the text together. It was also a place that there was distribution of community almsgiving. So the benevolence fund that we have in our church was their almsgiving fund and the poor would come to receive the almsgiving of the church or of the community and that's where it would be distributed to them. And the last piece that's interesting that really comes into play here is the synagogue or the assembly was the settling of community disputes. 
And so what would happen is the people in the community would come and they would have disputes with one another. And when they would go to the elders or they would go to the chief priests or whoever it was, and they would say, this is what this person did to me. Here are my witnesses. This is what did, and the other person, this is my side of the story here, are my witnesses. And what would happen is that they would make a ruling of what would happen. What is the justice that would be served at this time because of what happened? So literally, people were coming in to settle their disputes, and the church was favoring, in the dispute settling, the man wearing the gold ring and splendid clothing. See, this was not just material wealth. These, this, this gold ring and splendid clothing or fine clothing was really a symbol of not only wealth, but the power that came with their wealth and also a symbol of arrogance. Right? Have you ever met the wealthy person that flaunted their wealth, right? I was just with somebody the other day that had five gold chains around their neck and it was just like, yo, we know you got money, man. You don't need all five of those chains around your neck. And so the church began to favor the person, the obstinate person that was showing off. And by doing so, what they happened was they were dishonoring the poor among them. And what's really interesting is they would make the poor sit at their feet or a place of shame. Or they would make them stand in the corner. And what's crazy is while they would do this is they would give the rich person a place of comfort. So imagine you're coming into a courtroom. And when you get into the courtroom, there's some good seating, right? And maybe let's say this is the, the assembly place. And we say to the rich person, I'm going to put a nice cushion seat for you right here. You're about to get judged on something that happened, some wrongdoing. And then the poor person that's coming to plead their case against this rich person, why don't you go stand over there behind the door while we hear everybody's case? Or why don't you, you, you can sit, you know, some of the elders will be standing here. Why don't you sit at their feet to show that you are under us, to show where are the real levels of power that were happening here? And this began to be how the church was practicing justice. And so, what James says here is after he tells them this is what's happening, in verse five, he says, listen. And every time we hear this word, that means in the scripture that something important is about to be said. So James is really annoyed at what is happening. And so he says, listen to what I'm about to tell you, my beloved brothers. You know, when I was a kid, whenever I was about to get a spanking, my dad would tell me, I do this because I love you. And I would always think, you liar. <laughs> you don't love me. As an adult, I'm grateful for those spankings because as Proverbs said, they whipped out a lot of, stupidity from me as a kid. And so James, you know, he's about to give papa to the <laughs> congregation, but he says, listen, my beloved brothers, I love you, but I'm mad at you right now. 
And he says this. He's about to drop some wisdom on them. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James says these two things about the poor person. He says, first, that they are rich in faith. See, rich in faith here does not mean that if you are poor, you have more faith. Because that would go against everything that we're talking about. That God is somehow showing partiality. But what it means is this. That even though of worldly possessions and in the world and maybe earthly goods, they are poor. Guess what? God has given them riches in faith. That even in the congregation, in the assembly, they should be treated as if they were a rich person in the world. So let the rich be treated like the rich and let the poor be treated like the rich, even out the scales. James is saying that God has given them riches beyond. Everyone who follows Christ has riches beyond what this world can give us. And us with our eyes, us with our church eyes, he's saying we're, we're looking at these people and we're seeing them through the lens of the world and we're saying, you are worthless, you have nothing, therefore you are nothing. And so we can deal unjustly with you because what does it matter? What are you gonna do to us? Well, really the question should not be what will you do to us? It should be what will God do to us because of this? And that's where the fear of the Lord should come in. The second thing that James says is that they are heirs to the kingdom. This comes straight from Jesus in Luke chapter six, verse 20. It says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. This is such a crazy scale. Because God says to the poor, he says, you are heirs to the kingdom. You have an inheritance. And then the church is saying to the poor, you belong under my feet. Do we see the difference of the view of how God looks at the poor and how the church was looking at the poor? God says, I have elevated you to an inheritance. You are my son. You are my daughter. The kingdom that was given me, I give to you. The church was saying, you can't even be at my level. Get under my feet. You are below me. You are beneath me. What a crazy difference in a worldly perspective of the poor and a godly perspective of the poor. So many times we walk around and we see people and we see them only with how the world has taught us to see people. We look at them in dollar signs. We look at them in bank account numbers. We look at them in their clothing. We look at them in what they can do for us. We look at them at how they can elevate us. And we don't see how God views them as being rich in faith with an inheritance as a son or daughter of the king. And James is so upset at the church because he says you have fallen into the sinful worldly system. 
and you are viewing people in a sinful manner. You are viewing them how the world views them as worthless, but do you, how can you call worthless what God has called son or daughter? How can you look at these people and only see poverty when I have given them riches beyond human imagination? How can you say you belong at my feet when I have elevated them to my throne? Of the rich, James says two things. He says, and remember, these are the rich with a worldly perspective, not a godly one. He says, they are the ones, the first thing, they are the ones who oppress you. See, a lot of poverty, if you read throughout scripture, a lot of poverty, and if you just understand the world, comes from oppression from the rich. The friends of the world have only known one way to get ahead, and that is this. Others have to lose. See, this is the closed system of the world that we live in, that there are finite resources, there are finite places of title, places of getting ahead, and in order for me to get there, I have to step on you, and I have to hurt you, I have to backstab you, I have to gossip about you, I have to blaspheme of you. This is the way of the world. And so the worldly perspective of the rich looks at the world and says this is a closed system. The godly perspective looks at the world and says this is an open system. There is unlimited riches for all of us to attain because God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. What he has is more than I can ever imagine and he gives freely to all who ask. The worldly rich look at this and they say, well, in order for me to get ahead, I have to step on you. Look no further than today. I look at these two examples, Amazon. Bezos, the richest man in the world, right? And it depends on where the stock market is, but last time I checked, he was worth $150 billion. Right, but every three months, an article comes out about Amazon and how poorly they treat their workers. Right? When you think, how do I get all of this so cheap? How is it that they give me free shipping in two days? Or how is it that all of this stuff is so much less expensive than when I go to this store? Well, go look up the articles and you will learn how it is done. Because in order for them to get ahead, what have they done? They have created one of the worst working environments in America. I look at Apple. Apple, when it comes to market cap, Apple is the largest company in the world. They are worth the most. They are almost $1 trillion, the first company that will ever reach that amount. But what has happened with Apple time and time again? They have built their company off notoriously bad labor practices in Asia. What has happened? Because the mentality of the business owner in the world is this. In order for me to make more money, you have to make less. In order for me to get ahead, that means you need to live in poverty. And so we have created the systems where I continue to get elevated and you get continued to be pushed down. The second thing 
James says of the rich with a worldly mentality is this, they drag you into court. There is nothing new under the sun. You know, every time I read this verse, I just think like, man, I thought it was the American court system that was bad. But this has been going on for ages. The worldly rich have been using the court systems to win, to win over on people who don't have the means to lawyer up or don't have the education to defend themselves. And so they have used the court system as a way to deal unjustly with other people because if you come in with your $5,000 lawyer, but I come in with my $100 million, $100 lawyers, million dollar retainer, who is gonna win? Even if I don't win, I will bury you in court papers for years so that by the time you do win, you're in debt, you don't care, and I've already moved on. If we think that this is something new, this has been going on for ages. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. This is how the worldly rich move forward. And what does James say about these actions? He said, this is blasphemous to the name of God. The church is doing this and blaspheming the name of God. There are ways to do business God's way. There are ways to be a generous, wealthy person that God has said, this is my perspective on it. I myself, I own a business. God has blessed me tremendously in my life. But my practices are not the world's practices. And you know, a lot of people will look at that and think, wow, that's dumb what you're doing. But I think you just don't know that this is what God will bless. And this is who I am. But the church was practicing the ways of the world in these things. And what does James say? He says, you are literally blaspheming the name of God. How are you calling yourself a Christian and allowing this to happen in your congregation, in your assembly? How are you allowing this to happen? Why are you practicing these things? See, today we may not actually be settling disputes in our assembly, but what James is sketching is an age-old problem. And that problem is this. The rich and powerful are the ones who can benefit us, and the favor we show them, we assume, will come back to us. This has happened in every society since the beginning of time. And I've seen this happen in the church today. And I've seen it happen through different ways where we look at people and we look at their title, we look at their status, we look at their wealth, we look at what they have and we favor them, we're nicer to them, we're kinder to them, we work harder for them because whether we consciously think it or we subconsciously think it, We believe in karma and we think, man, what I do to them, maybe that favor will come back and return to me and what they have. Man, and I'll just be honest with this and I'll say I've seen this happen with how people treat the pastor. Let's talk truth for a moment. Everybody wants to be friends with the pastor. And they don't care about anybody else. Why? Because other people won't elevate them in the church. 
right? So let me ask you something. If, if you see the pastor coming and you run to go open the door, check your heart. Would you open the door for somebody else if you saw them coming? Just some random dude that is very able to open his own door? Like, yo, I got hands. I know how to do it, but I appreciate it. I do for all those that do it. But there's something that, that tells me about somebody when I see them only do it for me, but they won't do it for anybody else. They want something from me. If you would drive the pastor somewhere, but somebody else needs a rise and you could care less and you leave. Come on. I'm getting excited right now. Right? No one's ever opening a door or driving me anywhere ever again. <laughs> if you will say yes to the pastor to serve, but somebody asked you, somebody else says, hey, can you help me? And you're like, eh, I got other things to do. Come on, we have done the same thing that the church has done that James is saying, you have blasphemed the name of God. Because you have shown favoritism in your assembly. We have looked at somebody and we said, I can get from you and so I will help you. I will help you, why? Because of where you are in life, because of your status. If we think that we don't do this, then we are lying to ourselves. I see this happen all the time, every single day. Where we treat others better based on what their worldly status is and we don't look with God's eyes on what their heavenly status is. I pray that we are a church that we can say, God, it is, I will see people with your status, with your eyes. This is good news for the rich man because you are loved, not because of what you have, but because of who you are. See, rich people don't even like coming to church because the church does this to them all the time. This is good news that we will see you for who you are and not for what you have. This is good news for the poor believer because in our space you will be given honor. You are not less than because you have less than. You are rich in God and you have an inheritance as a son and a daughter. I've seen this in pastors, how they treat people. You're a bigger tither, you get a bigger leadership position. Because of what you have, you will get, not because of who you are, making character decisions. We must have eyes to see how God sees that all are equal before the throne. Galatians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We cannot treat people better or worse because who we perceive they are. This is blasphemy to the name of God. This is how we profane his holy name. But we have to see each other how God sees us. Rich in faith, heirs to the kingdom, sons and daughters. Thank God that he doesn't have a check-in to get to heaven where he looks at the kind of sneakers that we have on because, man, before I was married, I was going to hell. <laughs> or he doesn't look at the clothes that you have. You don't want to see my wardrobe pre-Heather in my life. It's full of cargo pants and graphic tees. I've come a long way. There is one measure that we have, and that is our faith in Jesus. And every believer gets richly poured into their faith. Can you pray with me? Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, let us be a church with no distinction among us. Let our love for each other be like our love for you. Let it be sacrificial, let it be unwavering, and let it be all-encompassing. Father, that there would be no distinction among us, but that we would serve one another just like you have served the church. Lord, that we would bend over backwards for one another, no matter what their worldly status is, no matter what their church title is, Father. Lord, that we would care for one another just like you have cared for us. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, that while we were still sinners, you came and you died. You did not ask where we were on the scales of the world. But you served, you sacrificed, you loved. Let that be the story of Zion. That we are a church who serves one another, that we are a church who cares for one another. That we are a church who acts, Lord, in our faith. That we don't just believe, Lord, as we read later, even the demons believe. But that we would live this out, that we would be not only hearers, but doers. In Jesus' name. Oh